right, welcome back to another episode of Film Junkies with Griffin Friends. As always, I'm the host of the show, Griffin Schroeder, and this week we have a surprise for everyone. Um, we have another guest, but he's a reoccurring guest. Introduce yourself once again, sir. Back for the second time, Eric Everly. <laughs> Eric Everly. Happy to have you on the show, sir. Happy to be back. We have a list of movies, as we've mentioned, that we both love and have watched over the years that we want to talk about on the podcast, and so we're going to have another one of those uh, on this episode, which obviously, if you are listening right now, you've already read the title of the episode and understand what movie we're going to talk about, (laughs) but it's going to be the uh, 2012 uh, Ride Along with Jake Gyllenhaal and Michael Pena, End of Watch. Eric, are you excited? Oh, I'm very excited. I love this movie. It's uh, very captivating and uh, just gets you real excited. And it puts you in the point of view of the police officers in L.A. Definitely does. Um, and I had one thing I wanted to point out before we get into this. I've realized from looking through the list of movies that you and I have kind of agreed upon that we both love and would want to talk about at some point. I think point. it's in the 20s now, right? Oh, there's a lot of movies on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, this one, along with many other movies that we, we both enjoy, are like kind of like a brotherhood or like a some type of either joining together or facing off against one another in which there's um, like a pair of guys that, you know, get along or hate each other. And Right. The best friend brotherhood dynamic. We have a lot of movies that we like. That we do. That theme. You know what, Eric? It might be reminiscent of our own relationship. Well, probably, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, this isn't a psychology show. We're just talking about movies. Um, so, end of watch. As always, I'll give you the quick plot summary. Longtime LAPD partners and friends Brian Taylor and Mike Zavala patrol one of the most dangerous neighborhoods in Los Angeles. Though they may bend the rules, their honor and dedication to the job are unquestioned. Taylor and Zavala always have each other's back, even if Taylor's continuous filming of their daily activities for a college course is a bit ill-advised. All hell breaks loose for the officers when they find themselves on the bad side of a vicious Mexican cartel. What do you think? I mean, it's it's excellent. What One of the big things that's going to stick out right from the beginning is that this film is mainly from the perspective of a point of view or a body camera or when uh officer taylor is actually carrying a handheld camera yeah the the film's shot kind of like a documentary where almost all the footage is done with either handheld or mounted camera like you mentioned either since they're police officers it's either something attached to their police car or attached to their bodies um that's actually how it starts out right the dash cam car chase and they, and he mentions to, um, and then we have the scene where Jake Gyllenhaal's character actually explains that he's doing this for a college class. And um, speaking of the cameras that are attached to them, we're going to start off with a quick fact. Hot, hot start with the facts this episode. Um, so actually, to achieve the shots that are captured by the main character's lapel cameras, uh, Michael Mansouri, who is a part of uh, Radiant Images, which is a company that they used that they worked with uh, for this film to bring these kind of different camera shots to life, um, he took a silicon imaging S12K mini camera and made it about a third of its original size so that it could be attached to the vest worn by Jake Gyllenhaal and Michael Pena. And the camera was then dubbed the Nano and has sub- subsequently made 
uh, available for rental or use for other movies. So they essentially, like, created a different type of camera for this movie, which is really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. So, as always, I'll get into my uh, list of explanations as far as specs go for this this movie. The ratings, we have a 7.6 on IMDb and an 85% on Rotten Tomatoes. I think the Rotten Tomatoes is a little bit closer to... Yeah, feel. definitely. The IMDb <laughs> rating seems a little bit lower than I would have expected. But... In my experience, a lot of, I mean, IMDb is just people like me who can make accounts and write their own reviews. So right. and... I feel like a lot of people love to hate stuff. And I feel like what might happen, I have this like weird hunch and feeling about movies on IMDb is like if someone hates a director of a movie because of a different movie they did, they'll just go on and write like a crappy review about their I know where you're movie. going with this one. Yeah. <laughs> you do understand where I'm going. This movie was written and directed by none other than David Ayer, uh, who also wrote and directed Fury, which is a great movie. Fury was excellent. With Brad Pitt, Shia LaBeouf, and uh, a few other people in there. Um, and actually, Fury might be a movie that Cassie, my girlfriend, and I might review. She loves excellent. that movie. That's yeah, one that's of her favorite movie. movies. I loved it. <clears throat> so he didn't go wrong there. But with his other uh, writing and directing experience he created suicide squad which we both can agree is a trash movie it was terrible it was so bad dc as i've said several times has done nothing right since christopher nolan made the batman movies that was literally the last good one yeah wonder woman was pretty good but other than that that was the closest one to being good that they've made and it was the first or close to at least of the new dc characters that they're doing all the rest of them have been uh big misfires uh, so I would say that out of the, uh, the movies that he's done, he tends to hit more than he misses, but Suicide Squad, I just want to lay out there. We both want to lay out there was a huge miss. Right. And <laughs> going back to the original rating, I mean, I feel like it's a little bit low, but at the same time, there could be some Suicide Squad stigma. There also could be a little bit of police stigma. Yeah. You know, some people might see, uh, something that you and I would portray as real to be police abuse or abuse of power or touchy subjects that some people really have a problem with watching. And yeah. you and I see it as real occurrences, things that would actually might happen. Yeah, right. Um, and I, obviously we don't get super political on the show. It's not to say that there isn't ever instances in which police brutality happen. We're just saying this movie focuses more on the essential brotherhood that's shown between these characters, which is awesome. Um, David Ayer, though, definitely enjoys police-related movies. Um, He actually directed Bright, which is a Netflix original cop movie with Will Smith and Joel Edgerton, um, which was terrible, but (laughs) nonetheless, it's a cop movie. Uh, And he actually wrote the screenplay for um training day which eric and i you and i talked about uh that's i hope everyone listening is familiar with that movie if you're not whatever i'm not not gonna hold it against you yeah but that's a film with uh ethan hawk and denzel washington that does go through the first day training day being the name uh of ethan hawk's character and having denzel who ends up being a crooked police officer like take him through his day and what he does so he has a history with police related movies um and this one i in my opinion is the best one of them yeah people love to love training day but i think this one's better than i agree with you on that yeah um also he wrote the screenplay for the original fast and furious movie which is interesting i didn't know that he did that but i heard a lot of hate come out of your mouth about those movies in the previous episode oh well i just think that there's way too many of them 
I think The Rock is doing what The Rock hey, does. Man, and... Fast 17 is going to be awesome. <laughs> okay? They're going to race cars in space. I will not be in attendance for that movie. I won't even rent that movie. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. So, like I said, David Ayer loves cop movies. This one is his best one. Um, but, Eric, let's talk a little bit about the cast. Because okay. I know I've mentioned a couple of the, the main characters so far, but there's actually a lot of famous people in this movie. Yeah, it's got a really good roster. I mean, obviously, you got Hall and Pena. Hall way more popular of a lead role, has done a lot of great movies. Yeah. Uh, Pena, a little bit more of a supporting actor, not really a bunch of lead roles, but he's been in a supporting actor, and he's done well in a lot of great movies. This being one of them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but then we have uh, Natalie Martinez, who plays Michael Pena's wife in the film, uh, Anna Kendrick, who plays Jake Gyllenhaal's love interest, uh, who we both are big fans of. Also, David Arbor is in this film, who plays Hopper in Stranger Things, the... Uh, main one of the main characters now who is an awesome actor you can definitely tell this movie was made in 2012 based on what he looks like now he's definitely gained probably like 40 pounds and has a full beard he he definitely aged hard as well but in this movie he uh well he's a drug addict so oh i actually didn't know that but he he plays the role of uh stuck up by the book police officer really well the uss Van Hauser. Van Hauser, yeah. That's right. Um, so going down the line, because we're not done yet, we actually have America Ferreira from Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. Uh, she actually plays one of the cops, and she does really well in this movie. I really like her. Oh, yeah. And um, uh, the chick from The Office, right? She's yeah. the other one? Yeah, is her partner. Yeah, the one who, um, what's his name, Will Farrell's character brings in to try and prove that he's not sexist. Yeah, the assistant. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then Frank Grillo is in this as Sarge. Um, he actually plays Brock Rumlow, who, if you're familiar with the Captain America movies or the Avengers, um, he's one of the kind of consistent characters in those films as well. So we've got a, a big cast for this movie. Absolutely. A lot of people. Um, and it definitely was a passion project for David Ayer, considering he wrote and directed it. And a lot of the cast that was involved definitely made sure that they put in a lot of effort to make this thing come to life. Um, Unfortunately, not a big award winner, <laughs> but that's that's not the point of this movie, I don't think, as we're going to get into. Um, so, Eric, what do you want to talk about first? Well, I mean, as with any movie, uh, the first thing that grabs your attention is the opening scene. Mm-hmm. And I think the opening scene in this movie is great. It The Universal like- Studios uh logo yeah that's that's the one it just grabs you right in but, uh, <laughs> the uh the first scene it, it literally looks like you're watching an episode of cops or live pd mm-hmm. it's complete dash cam car chase mm-hmm. that ends with a shootout i mean yep that's what i watched this movie to see i watched to see some cops in some dangerous situations and it gives that to you immediately yeah exactly and uh that's to me is just i mean it's an excellent opening to the movie it's like oh okay so these aren't cops that are just dealing with your regular old domestic disturbances and right you know uh noise complaints and whatever they're in south central la and stuff gets real every day exactly yeah um so speaking of that beginning then with uh someone getting shot right at the beginning of the of the film i want to talk about as I mentioned a little bit ago, that none of these actors really uh, phoned it in as far as preparing for this role. Uh, so as part of their training, Jake Gyllenhaal and Michael Pena spent five months doing 12-hour ride-alongs with on-duty LAPD officers. Um, and actually, during uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's first ride-along, he witnessed someone uh, get murdered. 
Wow. Yeah. That's... On his first night on patrol. That's um, crazy. It kind of it kind of plays through though. I mean, you see it throughout the movie the the way they follow what actual procedure is to a T and to me that just adds so much depth. Oh yeah. It it makes it so real. For sure. You know, I mean even in the opening scene there one officer is holding the people at gunpoint while the other handcuffs them. And that's like that's textbook. When when cops that are by themselves in a car are holding someone at gunpoint they don't move until someone else shows up. Right, yeah. They definitely show that they did enough training to um, know what they're doing on screen rather than just playing the part. For sure. Uh, and I've got some more stuff about that later. But um, So I want to talk a little bit about the dynamic between these two main characters, um, specifically between Jake Gyllenhaal and Michael Pena off screen, like how they as actors were able to have uh, chemistry on screen, um, but more so talk about their actual characters in the film and, and the relationship that they have. So uh, I wanted to first start out by saying that most of the banter between Jake Gyllenhaal and Michael Pena was actually improvised by the two of them. That's fantastic. Um, it is. So since since the uh, the way that this film is shot, like we talked about, it's a lot of handheld stuff. There's not a big camera crew around for a lot of it. So they're the ones that are just kind of either in the car or like holding the camera themselves right. filming things it's and so usually it's, them driving around and it's just yeah and it's the two of them the dash and it just exactly. it shows the two of them driving in a car. yeah so a lot of that stuff they just they made up like the you know my sister's quinceanera my cousin's quinceanera they, they cover things that might be seen as semi-racist but it's more just but like they're best friends they, and yeah brothers, they're just so playing not... on stereotypes that they see every day they're in la i mean they're hispanic people everywhere they're used to things about that culture and his partner is hispanic so he yeah. just he pokes one at him and it's well and michael pena is like they, he wants him because i mean it's it's not a stereotype or anything to say that people of mexican descent have large families absolutely and he talks to michael pena's character is like come on bro you got to be in my family like why don't you date one of my cousins and he's like no man i don't want to date one of these mexican chicks they're always talking to me about then this happened and then this happened and this happened he's like yeah no and then what do you do you go mm-hmm mm-hmm <laughs> so like there's so many scenes of that where they just go back and forth and it's it's cool to see that most of it is improvised um but speaking of improvising things as well or, or using certain language uh the f word is actually used 326 times in this movie which at the time made it the ninth all-time profanity uh laced movie i believe it yeah. but i think it adds another layer of depth because Oh yeah, and true and truth trueness to the they, film. Like they, it's not like people don't swear, especially police officers. They so. use it so casually, unlike when you know PG thirteen movies. They get their one f word and they just and you always wait for it. You're like, like, oh, it here it comes, be? here it comes, here it comes. <laughs> <laughs> but they they definitely kind of use it casually, but in a way that you would almost expect people of their age and occupation to kind of behave. Oh, for sure, yeah. Um, all right, let's talk about this. You know, the main reasons why we like this film, I know one of them is that dynamic between those two characters and um, how they really can portray this kind of brotherhood and partnership that they uh, feel for one another on screen um, and how that really drives the plot of this movie. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're, they kind of feed off of each other as far as their normalcy goes. Mm -hmm. When they show it more than once, when one of them is feeling stressed out or taken aback by something that's just happened he's got his partner to keep him grounded mm -hmm. and they kind of play that off of each other to where even if someone just got shot it, it's just a normal day you know yeah uh 
in well, one they scene, have they have a. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. In one scene, Michael Pena almost gets shot in the face. Yeah, and uh, other officers show up, and their their eyes are as big as grapes. Just like yeah, you got shot at, and he's like, yeah, let's go toss the car. Right. Yeah. Let's go. Let's go search the car. I'm fine. Like, it's kind of established early on that these that specifically this partnership are some of the best police officers and in their precinct. Conditioned to the violence that happens in LA. yeah. And they, like, there's a joke about it at the beginning when they're doing roll call and deciding who's going to be in which uh, station of, or which section of their jurisdiction, and they get put in a different one than they're usually in, and they're like, uh, Sarge, no, we're usually in ninth District, and they're like, it doesn't, it's not the lottery, you don't get to pick, or he's like, you don't get to pick, and then he's like, well, if we kill somebody in ninth District, can we go to the other one? Can we go like, back to 13? Like, they make jokes, but, like, they're saying, like, they know that they cover a certain amount of ground, and they're the ones that are going to be responsible for bad things happening in certain areas. Um, and we see that a lot. Like there's there's one scene when they respond to a missing child call, yeah. and then you see the one woman is clearly on drugs, and then the man is like not being responsive and not explaining what's going on, and then Michael, and then he's telling her to be quiet the whole time while right. they're interrogating. And her. then you know Jake Gyllenhaal's character uh, figures out what happens with the kids, and then immediately like gets angry, rightfully so, at this guy because he knows it's his fault that something like this happened and then like you said with that partner dynamic michael pena's character is like partner partner like hold it back hold it back and tell him to like restrain himself which i i couldn't i probably couldn't let restrain myself there there was more than once in this movie where i caught myself saying i wouldn't have been able to hold back there no absolutely absolutely not um so in reference to you saying that that they follow protocol a lot and you just mentioned that one scene uh where they were tossing that truck Mm -hmm. i wanted to mention so after Taylor and Zavala pull over that male in the pickup, who tries to shoot uh, at Michael Pena's character, uh, Taylor holds up four fingers to the other police officer that shows and up. And the helicopter, asks, Are you right? good? And the helicopter, correct. So this is actually often used by police to sig- signal code four, which means, like, I'm okay, no additional assistance is needed. And so that was something that, to a textbook use of something that police actually do on a daily basis to show things. And a, a funny story about that, uh, that... David Ayer, um, the director and writer of this film, talked about uh, in a couple interviews. He said that in real life, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal at one point actually fooled an actual uh, roundup of LAPD officers. Because, like I said, when they're filming a lot of this, it's just them driving around in a police car. But it's a fully marked LAPD police car, so it's not like they can tell that there's a movie being filmed because it's just them in the car. And there's no film crew. Right. And Jake Gyllenhaal shaved his head, and they're wearing... He's got his Oakleys Oakleys and stuff, yeah. And he said that they drove by this group of police officers, and and Jake Gyllenhaal reaches the four out out of the window, and they gave it back to him and just, like, carried on. And had no idea that they were filming a movie, and that's a giant movie star that just, you know, flashed that to him. So definitely a, a big... You know, take away from them right. showing that they did their research. A in little this. bit of a contrary note to that, though, is the fight scene inside the man's house early on in the movie. Yeah, they kind of <laughs> they kind of take that one away from protocol, right. mainly because there wasn't any immediate danger. You can tell when there's danger involved; they're super serious about it. But when it was just a petty thing about a guy who harassed his mailman and 
he was talking junk to Zavala, so he took off his badge and gun yep. and decided to, to bring it down to fists. And they so fought, square and, up? He fought inside the guy's house, and I thought that was awesome. Yeah, they full-on fist fought, and, and the guy said that they went to his house, and he's like, if you beat me, I'll put those cops or I'll put those cuffs on myself. Yep. And then he beats him. And then there's scenes he where... because Jake's down and yeah, he just drops Because Jake Gyllenhaal is like filming it because he's doing the stuff for his film class, and he turns the camera on himself, and he's like, oh man, oh man, oh man. He's like, this is crazy. <laughs> this is crazy. Yeah, so those parts are awesome. I wanted to say, too, um, obviously that's a bit off the wall, and him risking his safety to fight somebody but yeah. um i as you know eric i went to washington dc a couple months ago with uh shout out my mom and k-bug uh it was a family vacation and they actually have a, a law enforcement museum there that we toured and we watched a few different videos that were um it was really cool you could ride along essentially the day of a different police officer and a lot of the things that they talked about were building morale within communities and to be able to show people that um you know, we're going to be here, like we talked about, they want to be in that certain precinct because they know, or not district, because they want people to know them and that's right. their area. And so that's a thing. Why He wouldn't might not have felt as comfortable fighting that guy had he not been a daily member of that community and patrolling there and showing that, like, hey, I'm here, I'm not just driving through for the day. Right. Uh, and that's something that I guess a lot of police officers try to do is trying to build that um, constant understanding that, like, we're here to patrol this part of the city. And especially him, Michael Pena, being Latino, um, showing, like, I understand there's a high population of people from my heritage that are in this area. And a lot of times we do see emotional aspects from him specifically because he hates the way that these things are carried out yeah, absolutely. Um, from people of his heritage. But, yeah, so there's a lot of emotional aspects to this film, and that's one thing that makes it, like, really enjoyable for me. Because a lot of times when films decide to be a serious tone – but then try to add humor. Sometimes it's a hard thing to like switch in between those things. Like if you're going to go in between cops getting in a shootout, somebody dying, and then you're going to tell a joke the next scene, like that probably isn't a great idea from a filmmaking perspective. But they transition so smoothly. Oh, they do They're very well, and and I think it establishes very early on that there's a way that these characters conduct their daily life. And they understand that they need to move on. Like right. the, they're very conditioned to the violence that they experience on a daily basis, and they can't let it get them in a place where they're shaken by it. So right. they they use sarcasm and humor and and jokes and pranks on people to mm-hmm. kind of keep it light. Because if they don't keep it light, it's going to consume them. There's actually a scene uh, when a a big part of the movie happens where one of the officers, a couple of the officers get injured and America Ferreira's character uh, comes in and, and they make a joke about how their rookie officer is going to, you know, not hold up anymore. And the Sarge says, don't you guys have souls? She said, yeah, but we leave them at home. And so that's one thing that really stuck with me because she was making a joke and like, it was a really serious moment of the movie, but like it really stuck with me because a lot of police officers probably feel that way. It's like, yeah, a lot of this stuff, suck and you wouldn't want to experience it especially in areas like compton and um you know those those bad parts of la which this movie focuses around um but they have to go through it anyway because that's their job and that's what they signed up for you got to check your emotions at the door because you're gonna you're gonna go through things that are going to test you emotionally and if you can't handle them you're not fit for the job yes speaking of testing your emotions uh, Eric and I went golfing earlier today. Oh my! <laughs> Can we just not? Eric was ready to not do this episode of the podcast. <sighs> I wanted to go home. Hey, well, um, the only thing I'm going to say about golfing is that I beat you 
Uh, so you did. Congratulations. We'll, we'll move on from that. You're welcome for those two par putts. And, <laughs> and uh, I will fully acknowledge the fact that I just compared uh, struggling as a police officer to our struggle on the golf course today. White privilege. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I shouldn't be laughing. Anyway, uh, so one thing that I wanted to mention, too, is this movie, as we talked about, is called End of Watch. Another thing as far as law enforcement that ties in again, law, End of Watch has two meanings. Uh, commonly, it refers to the time that you go off duty at the end of a shift, um, but if an officer is actually killed in the line of duty, the date of his death is referred to as his end of watch. Um, and that we can say is a little bit of foreshadowing. Um, also, it just generally gives a good tone to the film because from the beginning, just from the title, it shows that this they, film is They say dedicated. the phrase more than once throughout the movie. Yeah. Just, they even say the watch supervisor. Their police patrol is commonly referred to as their watch. Yeah, definitely. All right, Eric, what, uh, what other big big themes or, or topics in this film stood out to you? Well, there is the uh, overwhelming cartel influence that they add sort of in the second half of the movie, but it, mm-hmm. le- it leads into the final showdown, and it's how through just random pullovers and searches and common run-ins with their daily police work they stumble upon the workings of a mexican cartel who is participating in guns money drugs human trafficking Mm -hmm. and you know they're drive-bys yeah exactly all kinds of violence yeah it's and so it's they're kind of stumbling upon this way bigger picture that they're not equipped or even have security clearance to know everything about. Right. And they end up stumbling upon a collection of human trafficked people, about 30, 40 people living in a cage inside a house. Yep. And, you know, as soon as ICE, the agency, finds out that they're in the house, they come and storm up and take all the people as witnesses and tell the officers this is way above your pay grade and you need to forget about it because you're dealing with people that you are not equipped to even know about. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Big Evil. Why, <laughs> why do they call you Big Evil? Because my evil is big. Yeah, that's a that's a scene too, actually, I want to talk about. that. Obviously, that's the first uh, encounter we see with the main characters talking to these kind of uh, members of the, the cartel. Gang members, yeah. Correct. Um, but one of those things in there that I feel like... Um, was a takeaway from this to tie into the topics we've been talking about so far in this episode. America Ferreira's character, who is Latina as well, um, she ends up talking to one of the female parts of that gang, and then you quickly realize that they know each other and that America Ferreira essentially used to be maybe not a, you know part of a gang, but she was in the streets and people knew who she was. Right. And they, they, they definitely recognize each other. Yeah, how she's kind of flipped the script on how her life is. And that's a thing that's definitely you know understandable or comparable to real life scenarios where a lot of these people grow up in these terrible neighborhoods and they, they want some kind of change and so they may, might turn to law enforcement or some other uh, way to, to make that change and kind of change their life around uh, through giving back to the community. Right. One of the... Uh factors i wanted to cover about taylor's character is obviously his love interest janet um anna kendrick anna kendrick she is excellent in almost everything she does in general life yes love her anyway um (laughs) it's uh it's 
great how they kind of introduce her as being exactly what Taylor's looking for because he describes his previous love life as, you know, we get to know each other and then as soon as we're past the small talk and I want to start talking about things that actually take intellect and thought, yeah, he loses them because he's dating these hot chicks in L.A. that... Some of them, at least the ones he's dated, are super dumb. Right. And Badge bunnies, right. as they referred to them Absolutely. in the movie. And then he finds his love interest, Janet, who is a doctor, I believe? or She um she has her PhD. I yeah, think, she has her PhD in Something science-related. Something. Yeah. Anyway. But, but I love the way that they show that in the film, because instead of, like the common like montage of dates and them getting to know together or like showing him some cheesy thing where he sees her and then like other in love. Like they do this thing where he fully describes how he feels about her being a character that doesn't really open up about his emotions a lot and fully explains why he's interested in her. And then once you're done hearing him talk about it, you're like, Oh, this chick's cool. But he also only explains himself that way to his partner, which I think is an important aspect of how he's got to be, hardened when he's out on the streets and he's not used to opening up to these chicks that he's dating but with his partner he can be real and he has to be real because that is a relationship that can take no bull yeah exactly and then so with that too you know you see him open up there in an intimate moment with his partner and then you're like oh wow this chick's cool and then when you meet her it's like oh yeah she really is and i I honestly i think she nails the role of a cute chick that's smart but i mean that might just be her is her yeah but <laughs> well i like to see like she goes she films herself because like we said a lot of the stuff cuts back to him always using the, the camera someone camera, using the yeah. camera and there's one where she spent the night at his house and then she you know cuts to his camera and she's talking to it goes through his wallet and talking about oh there's a picture of your mom in here love a guy that has that and then pulls out a, a list of girls phone numbers and names and she's like you won't be needing this anymore yeah love that scene. like it's a cool thing and then and then we even get to see like they go on a road trip together and they're singing uh in the car which funny enough i've learned from knowing anna kendrick i mean she was in all the pitch perfect movies right. like she's a musically talented person but uh that scene <clears throat> was actually un scripted for the car ride so jake gyllenhaal and anna kendrick were driving around with the director in the back seat filming different scenes for the movie and at one point uh between takes the song hey ma came on the radio and then jake gyllenhaal and anna kendrick just started singing along and then david ayer like secretly started filming it and apparently both of the actor and actress that were in that scene gyllenhaal and kendrick were completely unaware that it was being caught on camera until they actually watched the movie at a screening of the film that's great which is really cool because it it, it shows true chemistry between them on screen but obviously between the characters themselves right and it, it adds that layer of realness which we keep circling back to how accurately real these situations are yeah it's they you get to a point where this however you might feel about you know law enforcement or things that happen like this specific instance of this movie really draws you into these characters and like makes you feel for them whenever they go through anything whether it's on duty or not like any part of their lives you really care about and you understand that like these guys while they're willing to sacrifice everything for their job like they do have lives outside of it that they're definitely involved in one of the times when things get really real before the climax of the movie is when they have some fellow officers that are in some real trouble. Mm-hmm. And um, Van Hauser, the guy who plays Hopper, him and his partner get in a situation and his partner ends up calling for help. Yep. And 
they're yelling at her over the radio because they they don't know the situation and she's asking for help but doesn't know where she's at so she can't give her location because she's a rookie absolutely she's she's, freaked out she's freaked out and she doesn't know what's going on and they finally figure out where she's at and they show up on the scene and van hauser's got a knife in his eye yep and that and they just act like i have no time to deal with him right now He's not in mortal danger, and we don't know where his partner's at. Right. We're going to leave you right here with this knife in your eye, and you'll be okay. We got to go. Well, and a testament to him, even though his character is kind of just, like, not the greatest guy. He's kind of annoying. Um, He has a knife in his eye, and he's sitting there and gives them full directions and a description of the person that they're looking for, where he is, to be careful. And he's got a knife. Yeah, he's concerned for their safety, and he's the one with a knife in his eye. He goes, be careful. He's huge. Like Right. And then they end up going down this alleyway. And the biggest part of that scene for me is then they get back there and there's this the, – the rookie woman that was that was on duty with the, the gentleman with the knife in his eye, uh, she is just the small woman who ends up getting just completely beaten up by this giant guy as he was described as. And they go back in the alley and he's on top of her just like wailing on her. And then they come back and Jake Gyllenhaal's character has the, a shotgun. Michael Pena has his gun as well, I believe, and they both tell him to stop, and this dude just immediately stops and puts his hands up. He's like, I'm not resisting. I'm done. And it's like, he just got done, like, beating this woman within an inch of her life, and then they just, like, routinely have him back up, put his hands behind his head, and then they arrest him, and then later on in the scene, their Sarge comes at the scene and says, like, why didn't you shoot him? Like, you had him dead to rights. He was doing something, harming two police officers. You could have killed him. Could've and Jake Gyllenhaal him. just yep. says, I didn't feel like killing anybody today. And it was like, okay, yeah, that kind of made me step back because a lot of times in action movies, we just blindly see all this violence and we're like, yeah, kill people, kill more people. Right. And like, that's because that's just like this culture of action movies that we're dealt with is like a lot of blood and a lot of gore. But then this film actually tries to stay as true as they can a lot of times. And it's like, okay, this guy definitely could have killed somebody, but he said, I didn't want to kill someone today. It made it more like a human aspect of like, just because they have the ability to doesn't mean that they always right. want to kill His somebody. specific life wasn't threatened, so he didn't pull the trigger. Right. Which is, I mean, not only shows conditioning to high stressful conditions and instances, but it also shows the human element. You know, they yeah. they followed their training to the T, and they find this guy standing over a bloodied, bludgeoned face of somebody in their precinct, someone they know. And he has the restraint to not pull the trigger after he's injured two cops, which is a huge thing. I mean, cops don't like it when other cops get hurt. Exactly, yeah. Um, But I think just in in general, this film definitely, as we keep coming back to, does a great job of being realistic and showing showing several different real-life scenarios that could happen. I mean, from... Um, like we said originally, the domestic abuse uh, incident at the beginning, we see a, a car chase and a shooting. And in this instance, we see officers being attacked and having to stop someone. They did a noise complaint that ended up being at a drug dealer's house. Um, the human trafficking aspect of things, like there's, they even went into a fire. Like there's so many different things. While this film is essentially apparently supposed to take place over like six to eight months or so, like we do see. A large variety of different types of calls that police officers take on a daily or weekly basis, and it really rounds out the development of these characters and shows us that like they are 
they hold a sense of valor and like respect for what they're doing in their careers to uh, risk their lives daily in these positions. And that's the main reason why I love this is because it, you know, we develop that um, compassion for those characters and, and see what they do and have a really, uh, you know, genuine respect for them. It shows how hardworking and dangerous being a police officer could be, especially in LA. Mm -hmm. And it also gives you, kind of their point of view and they do a good job at compelling the nerves that a police officer is probably feeling during that moment. Right. They put their emotions to the side and they follow their training to a T because if they try to wing it, they're going to get stressed. And yep. that's when, you know, a cop shoots someone that didn't deserve to be shot. It's mm -hmm. because they're nervous and they're all worked up into the moment. And these cops, because they're so conditioned to the violence, aren't showing that vulnerability and that nervousness. They they know their training, they know the situations, and the scenes do a great job of portraying that. Definitely. I agree with that. And um, I think that on all levels, this film definitely hits home with a lot of areas and uh, shows that while David Ayer is good at messing up movies, he can get it right sometimes as well. Absolutely. And, <laughs> I mean, it all culminates into what I think is one of the best climaxes to a movie ever. Mm -hmm. It's the the final scene of this movie. I mean, it just leaves you there with your heart thumping a mile a minute. Yeah. It's, it's just insane. It's done again, mostly from that first person view, which is insane. You're, you're seeing bullets flying and ricocheting from a body cam view. Yep. And you know, they're in a scene with handguns versus machine guns, which mm -hmm. is never a good scenario. Nope. And, you know, they're trapped and you can you can see the stress on their face and they're like, What do we do? We can't call for backup. We we're stuck and then they gotta wing it. And they're mm -hmm. running around frantic, swearing, trying to figure it out, and at one point in the middle of it, Michael Pena looks over, he goes, Hey partner. This sucks. Yeah. And it's just, it's, I mean, I can imagine myself saying that in this scenario. Just like, wow, this sucks. Yep. Because they were in something that they weren't trained for. And for that's sure. when things get out of hand. Yeah. And it, I agree with you. This is a, a great ending to this film. Whether it's happy or sad, we, I guess, won't dive into that. But um, it's something that is realistic, I think. You know, unfortunately, like it's it doesn't shy away from any of the emotions or the experiences that you might see in a scenario like this, where given the environment that they're in, the job that they have, uh, the amount of time that they've been doing something, the, the statistics of something like this happening definitely isn't out of the question. Uh, and it's just a overall great film as far as the, the topics that it tackles. It definitely hits the mark on a lot of those. Certainly. Yeah, it uh, it keeps everything the way that I guess I just mean it doesn't dramatize things overly. It doesn't yeah. add extra to something that doesn't really need an extra oomph. You know, it's someone pulling a gun in a routine traffic stop. That's exhilarating enough. You don't have to add, you know, huge shootouts all the time right. or not every criminal has to be executed because they fired a shot and they they still act like it's just a normal day yep yeah exactly um all right eric what do you got what else do you have well i thought we could cover for a second about how 
these uh, characters are kind of sarcastic and joking to maybe be as some sort of defense mechanism. Oh, I was trying to kind of dive into that a little bit and put myself in their shoes and kind of see because they get ragged on by their fellow officers, by their sergeant, because they're kind of goofballs. But at the same time, these guys had just gotten out of a shootout. Right. And they're, you know, joking around, having fun, pranking, trying to keep everything light. And I don't know. I see that as just a way to keep their mind off of the nastiness that they see all the time. Right. I 100% agree with that. That's a, that's another thing that I think about whenever I watch this movie is definitely there's that aspect of this job is something that takes a lot out of a person and you're required to be able to be in several different situations that a normal person would never have imagined themselves in. You have to handle it with a certain level of, um, I guess, dignity, pride, I don't, whatever the word is, essentially just to say like, you have to have restraint as well to show that like, I have protocol and to handle certain things. Um, and, 100% in their downtime, they try and make things as lighthearted as they can because it does take away from the fact that, like, especially them being the biggest pranksters, that they're also in the worst part of uh, the jurisdiction of their precinct because they are great cops, but they understand, like, let's make this lighthearted and, and, you know, lighten the mood as much as we can just because, like you said, it does get them to take their minds off these things. And the least nervous they are, the better they are at their job. Yeah, 100%. they, They follow that very well. Yeah. Um, so this movie is one, another one we'll, we'll check off our list of films that we both love and love to talk about. Um, we've got 22 to go, (laughs) 22 to go. Yeah. (laughs) We do have a lot of them. I was going through my uh, collection, just like writing down a list for Eric the other day. I'm really excited for the top three though. Yeah. We do have some great ones coming up for you guys. Um, but this was end of watch. Uh, one of the, the top spots on our list that we love, that we've seen multiple times, and I had a good time talking about it. What about you, Eric? I had a great time. It was excellent. I'm excited to do another, obviously, but this one was one that we both decided that we wanted to do sooner rather than later. Right, yeah. Uh, and with that, that is what we have for you as far as our discussion on End of Watch. Uh, as always, thank you guys for listening. Uh, next week, hopefully if things work out, we've got a doozy for you. And we may or may not have our first female guest. Oh, man. On the podcast. No, oh, woman. Ah, there you go. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for listening to Film Junkies with Griff and Friends. Catch us next week. See ya. Wait, 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 wait.